Well, good morning. Can I have my welcome to everybody that's already been on this morning? And it's a joy to be with you in your homes and here in the room as well. Uh, great to gather for this last in our human series, as we've heard. And it's been really encouraging to me for people to have shared about how this series has struck a nerve. When we first started talking about doing this, um, it seemed really quite bonkers. In the middle of a pandemic, when everybody was pressed and pressurized and some very challenging circumstances, it seemed almost kind of out of place to be particularly thinking of Genesis 1 to 3, and it's sort of almost unemotional in the middle of kind of what was a very emotional time and has been for many of us. But it's been really encouraging, I think, for a lot of us to look away from ourselves for a moment and away from our problems, back to some foundations here in the Bible. Uh, just before COVID struck, I was out for a drink with a friend of mine. He's a great mate of mine, and we have the most amazing conversations about faith and life and God. Uh, he is one of the sharpest cookies that I know. I know his PhD. He's a voracious reader. We have amazing conversations. He would describe himself as an atheist. He doesn't believe in God, but he has a real affection for Christianity. And what he said to me just before COVID was this. I love Christianity uh, if I just believed it was true. In fact, if I believed there was a God, I would become a Christian tomorrow. As is so often the case with this particular friend, he was simply recognizing, I think, that what many in our society recognize but don't so often think about, that our society and the best bits in our society are founded on some of the principles that we have here in the Bible and some of the principles that we've looked at over these last few weeks in Genesis. They're principles that we want to live out that we find here in the Bible. We've seen some incredible things. And at the heart of what we've discovered in our series, there is a discovery going on. And it's something that we are still discovering today, that we're finding out what it means to be human. And in Genesis 2, verse 25, we read these words. This is just before it all goes wrong. We read, Adam and his wife were both naked and they felt no shame. There's perfection, paradise, all is good with the world, and they were both naked and no shame. That word naked there in the original language literally just means unclothed. They had nothing on. Great. But yet, a few verses later in Genesis chapter 3, after it all goes so wrong and they eat the fruit, we read these words. Then the eyes of both of them were opened and they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. That word is a different word for naked. The first word just means no clothes. That word, after it's all gone wrong, is much more vulnerable. They were naked and helpless, weak, found wanting, vulnerable. When they see themselves as they really are, they have something revealed that they're not the gods that they thought they were. And so today, I want to remind us 
of some foundations of the, what we've looked at over these weeks. Uh, and if you're here for the first time this morning, uh, I'd encourage you to look back over these weeks because there's some really important things that hopefully you'll find helpful. But we're not just kind of doing a summary. The reason for kind of gathering it all together at the end of this series is simple. Over the next few weeks and months here in the UK, we are going to be opening up to life again. And all of us face a question. What kind of society and what kind of lives do we want? Do we want to just go back to the old patterns, the old things that we used to do? Or now, with a new opportunity, what kind of lives do we want? What kind of society do we want? Uh, yes, we've, some of those things will be simple, like supporting more local businesses and you know, valuing our friendships a bit more. Others, there'll be questions around how we support those in caring professions. But for all of us, there are some big questions. What kind of lives do we want? Because these opening chapters of Genesis have given us some foundations. They've revealed some things to us that I want to suggest are really important for us as we step forward. The first thing is this. There's six of them. We're going to race through them, so don't worry. The first thing is this. These opening words of the Bible reveal our dignity. Do you remember those cartoons when you were little of Roadrunner? Roadrunner was running along and then running, 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 and eventually ran off the cliff. And there's that bit where Roadrunner's legs are still running midair and he's motionless, and then before that, he comes crashing down. A number of people are suggesting that that is a reflection of our society today. That we, as it were, have run off the cliff and we don't realize that the values and the things that we hold dear, we've walked away from. And we're in that moment where we're motionless, it's all great, and yet we actually are founded on nothing. The foundational beliefs that we so much has built on, we have moved away from. And I've seen this in my own life uh, recently. Uh, you may know, uh, uh, we've got twin boys, one of whom has complex disabilities. And a number of people I follow on social media are in kind of that world. And one guy that I follow is a guy called Stephen Unwin. You won't know him, he's not particularly famous, he's a theatre director. But he tweeted something a few months ago. He just simply took a photo of him with his son, who has complex learning disabilities. And he tweeted this lovely photo of them both smiling, having a great time. And the words that he put under this image were... It's so terrible being the dad of a learning disabled young man. He was kind of ironically, kind of as it were, putting out what many people think. And as a result, this tweet went viral and he was invited onto the BBC about all of this. Because what he was doing was playing on our common perceptions. That we live in a society in which we say everybody is valued. And yet the experience of many who live with complex disabilities is that that isn't the case. Friends, we all know that elsewhere in the world right now, there are hundreds of thousands of people being treated as less than because of their ethnicity. Is that wrong just because people say it's wrong in the West? Or is it wrong because we know deep down that isn't right? And where do those values come from 
they come from here. We read these words in Genesis chapter 1. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female. Every single person is made in God's image. And so there is a dignity to everyone. And the moment we do away with the idea that we think there's God, then the value of everybody is only because I say so. And so if a country changes their mind and says a certain group isn't valuable, who are we to judge? It's so important. We find our dignity and the dignity of every single person in these verses. That's the first thing. It reveals our dignity. The second thing that we found in these, throughout this human series is this. It reveals the foundations that we all want. I don't know if you saw an article in The Guardian a couple of weeks ago. Uh, John, who's leading this morning, actually pointed it to me. Great article by a guy called John Harris, a journalist, who again is an atheist. He doesn't believe in God. And he wrote this very provocative article. He says these words. Like millions of other faithless people, I have not even the flimsiest of narratives to project onto what has happened, nor any real vocabulary with which to talk about the profundities of life and death. For many of us, life without God has turned out to be a life without fellowship and shared meaning. And in the midst of the most disorientating, debilitating crisis most of us has ever known, that social tragedy cries out for action. Astonishing words. There he is, recognizing that his atheism hasn't given him a construct to deal with things like a pandemic. Listen to these words from Genesis 3. When we discover when it all goes wrong. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened and they realized they were naked. They took the fruit. They turned their back on the God who'd given them everything. They thought it led to freedom, but it became a chain that they could not escape. And many of us in our society are in that place, aren't we? The foundations about God, the foundations about how we see other people, the foundations about being broken, the foundations about our relationships, the foundations about equality. The moment we step away from thinking there is a God behind it, then it's ultimately up to me to decide. And who is me to decide versus you to decide? I don't know if you've heard the phrase, uh, we are weird. Uh, if you're with somebody else in the room, why don't you tell them you're weird? You, they may not like it. If you're on your own, just think I'm weird. <laughs> that word, weird, it, it doesn't mean that you're particularly odd in some respects. You may be. It's up to you if you own that or not. But it's simply Western, educated, industrialized, rich, democratic. Weird. The reason that is being increasingly used uh, in today's, uh, amongst psychologists is that it is true. Those of us who are Western-educated, industrialized, rich, and democratic are unusual in the world today, let alone in the whole history of humanity. And therefore, that should lead to a bit of a humility 
There are things that you believe to be true that in 50 or 75 years' time, your great-great-grandchildren's generation will look back embarrassed about it. The same way that we look back at those 50, 75 years ago and think, wow, they got some things wrong. We wouldn't quite use that language or whatever it might be. As G.K. Chesterton famously said, tradition refuses to submit to the small and arrogant oligarchy of those who merely happen to be walking about. What he's simply saying is this. Friends, when we root ourselves in wisdom that is thousands of years old, it gives us a framework that is way more robust than just what is trendy at the moment and that has been lived out for millennia rather than for a couple of decades. Those foundations that we may be quick to walk away from because we're oh so clever in the Western, industrialized, rich, democratic world, even though most of the world aren't with us on it, it places us in a very vulnerable position, even though we think the ones who've got it right. So often, the tendency of humanity is to go away from God And therefore, so often, the tendency of God's people is to be at the margins of society. Uh, I read recently an article by a journalist and spectator, and he said these words. Again, as somebody not not a believer, an atheist, he said this. I am not religious, so it is not my place to dictate to Christians what they should and should not believe. Still, if someone has a faith worth following, I feel their belief should make me uncomfortable for not doing so. If they share 90% of my lifestyle and values, then there's nothing especially inspiring about them. Instead of making me want to become more like them, it looks very much as if they want to become more like me. Or as somebody wrote recently, we're losing a generation not because they're secularists, but because they believe we are. Friends, the foundation values that we find here in the early chapters of Genesis, have been tried and tested for millennia. They're values we want about equality, dignity, purpose, importance of God being at the center. That's the second thing, racing on. Third thing is this. We see a, we've had a revelation of a healthy way to see ourselves. I saw an advert the other day for a new perfume called Perfect by Marc Jacobs. And I love the thrust of it. It was all about different kind of body sizes and how people are just perfect. And I love the idea about not having to fit into conventions of beauty. And yet, we know it's not quite true, don't we? That we aren't perfect. Which is why so many of us struggle because we think we are or should be. And so we try to hide what clearly isn't. Genesis 3 verse 7 says these words. After they've eaten the fruit, the eyes of both of them were opened and they realized they were naked, so they sewed fig leaves together. As we've seen, that nakedness, we then try to hide who we really are because we're vulnerable and weak. And I think these words in Genesis are helpful because it helps us realize we're all like that. You're not the odd one out. You're normal. I think that's liberating. Sin, I think, is good news in one sense because it helps us see that we're not the only one. We're all in this boat. 
changes how we see ourselves. But it also then changes, number four, how we see other people. These verses in Genesis chapter 1 to 3 reveal a healthy way to see other people. We framed this series called Human on the back of that song by Rag and Bone Man. You know the lyrics? We've said it before. I'm only human after all. Don't put your blame on me. Because it's when we come to grips with the reality that we are not God and we have so often turned away from God. We're all in that boat and so therefore any other human will let us down. Any relationship we're in, any friendship, any family, they will let us down in the same way that we will let them down. And so therefore in the same way Adam and Eve walk side by side rather than one in front of the other. So too as humans we walk together as broken, cracked, frail people together rather than thinking I am better or worse than any others. So it changes how we see each other. The fifth thing is this. Oh, we're racing this morning, aren't we? The fifth thing that we've discovered is this. These verses from Genesis 1 to 3 reveal a healthy way to think about our longing. What do I mean by that? Well, in Genesis 3, verse 6, we read these words again. When the woman saw the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. She saw something that looked good that she wanted and she grasped hold of it even though it ended up destroying. The serpent did the same thing, trying to see what he wanted to convince them and to get God's power. And the man ultimately too. The serpent, the woman and the man longed for something other than what they had. I heard a word recently. It's a Welsh word. Uh, If you're Welsh, you'll be able to say this. Excuse my pronunciation, but it's something like hiriath. It might be slightly more Welsh-sounding than that. But it's simply a word that means longing for something, especially longing for home. That kind of almost nostalgia that we so often feel. And I'm guessing that many of us feel that that longing for more in our lives, whether it be in our relationships, wishing they were different, wishing our family members didn't act like that, wishing our partner was different, wishing our circumstances, our job, our house, our car, our bank balance, whatever it is, longing for more, 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 more. C.S. Lewis beautifully said this word, these words, If we find ourselves with the desire that nothing in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that we were made for another world. This existential longing that we have points to more. Did you know when the lockdown kicked off, prayer was searched for Google, the increase by 50%. The Church of England in March last year had its single biggest congregation ever with over 5 million people watching a service from the Archbishop of Canterbury's kitchen. This COVID situation has reminded us once again that the life we had constructed has left us wanting more. So what is it you're longing for? What is that fantasy that you've constructed, that ideal that you know actually is mere fantasy? From porn to polled up, from right move to Instagram, we all have fantasies 
and Adam and Eve show us that that longing for more ultimately destroys. And rather, actually, we should be pointing to the one who ultimately satisfies those longings, the one who gave them all, the very creator himself. As the book of Ecclesiastes says, he has put eternity in our hearts. They were longing for home because they were out of the garden that they'd been given. They were longing for intimacy They were longing for significance. They were longing for freedom and for spirituality because they had turned away from the one who gave it all. Oscar Wilde said, there's two tragedies in life. One's not getting what we want. The other is getting what we want. (laughs) The final thing is this. These words reveal our need of a rescuer. These stories in Genesis 1 to 3 are beautiful and have transfixed people for thousands of years. And at root, they highlight something that we all know to be true. We can't fix ourselves. A survey was done by Oxford University in 2015, and the simple question was asked, all things considered, do you think the world is getting better or worse? wonder how you'd answer it. Sweden was the highest ranked country and only 10% thought that the world was getting better. The US, 6% of those asked thought it was getting better. And in the UK, only 4% of us thought the world was getting better. We know that much has improved, technology, health, education, and yet most of us think the world is not getting better. We need help. And these verses in Genesis 1 to 3 Reveal that to us. Or in the words of a very powerful ITV program this week, why is everyone so wrecked? These words point to one who can fix the wreckage. John chapter 6, verse 68. As Peter turns to Jesus, he says this, Simon Peter answered Jesus, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. These point to the saviour that we need, that the God who has created us all and given us all this goodness and we turn our back on him, he doesn't give up on us. He comes chasing after you. And I know as we come to close, There will be some that have watched this today and over these weeks and you know that Jesus is not really in your life and you're facing that choice. You've got a million questions, absolutely, but you've heard that voice that says, I love you, you're my child. And today there is an opportunity to simply say yes to him. For others of us watching this, you will know that this pandemic has done all sorts of things to your faith. And frankly, when this new normal, whatever that means, looks like, you are beginning to think that you might walk away from your faith. And yet you've begun to realize that the life that you're longing for actually just leaves people wanting more. And this morning you've heard that voice saying, you're mine, you're mine. And for all of us here at Riverside... I think it poses a question, what kind of church do we want to be? 
We want to be the church that keeps on proclaiming that Jesus has the words of eternal life. He is the ultimate hope for all our longings. So we proclaim it faithfully and with confidence.